Most of the references to Lot are in the book of Genesis, and that's where we find most of his narrative. So we know things in the Bible can get kind of confusing, especially with all the names, so we're gonna throw out a genealogy. The first person that you need to remember is Terah. Terah presumably had multiple children, but the ones that we're focusing on today are Haran and Abram, also called Abraham in your Bible. Haran is the father of our jerk for today, Lot. So the Bible has a lot of dark moments, and this is one of them, just a little bit of a disclaimer. Lot has a lot of different narratives around his life, but the first big one is Sodom and Gomorrah. He lived in Sodom, several messengers from the Lord came to uh, just hang out in the town, and Lot said, you need to come into my house. The men of the town said, hey, bring those guys out here so we can have sex with them. Lot says, hey, this is a very wicked thing. So he offers his daughters as a substitute instead. Luckily, the guys don't take it. So Lot and his two daughters escape the destruction of Sodom and they go to live in a cave, just the three of them. And no, we're not being lazy. Their names are actually not mentioned in scripture. So Lot and his daughters are living in this cave. The daughters want to extend the family line, but there are no men around. So they trick their dad, they get him drunk, they both have sex with him on different nights, and then we have two sons born to them nine months later. Moab and Ben Ami. So you may recognize these names. Moab becomes the father of the Moabite nation and Ben Ami becomes the father of the Ammonite nation. So these two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites, would continue to plague Israel throughout their history. We can read a lot more about them in the books of Judges, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, and 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And on that lighthearted note, good luck, Stan. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Thank you, Jake, for that. And you know, I, the Bible does have some PG-13 spaces in it. Today is one of those, and we'll lean into that a bit. And uh, it might be a great time for me to suggest to you and remind you that we have an incredible children's ministry down the hall. Speaking of incredible children's ministry, uh, we're gearing up for an incredible week here. This t-shirt is getting ready to get a workout. I might even wash it once or twice. We'll just kind of see how that goes. An incredible week serving kids and serving alongside many of you. I'm excited about VBS and what God is going to do in this space. I'm also excited at the end of the week, you heard uh, that get mentioned as well. Joy mentioned that just a second ago. We're going to have worship on the lawn. I love that service. Who do you know that you could invest in and invite to come and join us out on the lawn? We're going to play together out there on the lawn. There's going to be food. There's going to be fun. We're going to worship together. It's going to be awesome. Don't miss that. And bring somebody with you next Sunday. All right. Jerks of the Bible, week two. Here we go. And yes, I want to talk about Lot today. Uh, you know, there are some jerks in the Bible that are jerks for a day. There are some jerks that are jerks, it seems like, for a lifetime. We looked at one of those last week. If you missed out on that last week, we looked at Jezebel. You could go back out and check that sermon out online. Maybe you were traveling last week. She was a jerk maybe for a lifetime. Jerk for a week, jerk for a lifetime. How many of you have never acted like a jerk before? Let me see your hands. If you just put your hand up, you just lied. That's kind of a jerk move. Sorry. This applies to everybody. Jerk for a week, jerk for a day, jerk for a lifetime. Let's talk about Lot. In the intro, we heard Jake Harp reference some fantastical stories about Lot. And if you're anything like me, you could be a bit tempted to read the Bible, and you come to some of those stories, especially in the Old Testament, 
And it's like, oh my goodness, it's like that is so much drama. And there's so much to that story that I, how do I even wrap my brain around that? We're, we're tempted to kind of take some of those stories and dismiss them even, or, or worse, maybe stick them in the category of the realm of fable. This is not a fable. This is a true story. Jesus' followers can't shove these stories to the side. Why? Because Jesus doesn't shove these stories to the side. Neither did his early first followers, people like Peter. Peter talked about Lot. He didn't talk about Lot a lot, but he did talk about Lot in 2 Peter. We'll look at that passage later. Jesus talks about Lot. Again, not a lot, but he does talk about Lot. Uh, I'm in Luke chapter 17. He's referencing the Lot story, giving credibility, credence to the story of Lot. Luke 17, look at this. Once, on being asked by the Pharisees, speaking of jerks of the Bible, these guys were jerks, when the kingdom of God would come, they asked, hey, when's this going to happen? By the way, we should talk about the kingdom of God more. The Pharisees are approaching this conversation with Jesus from a very different perspective than he is approaching this idea of the kingdom of God. Hear me. For the Pharisees, Jesus is looking at them. He's basically saying, listen, the kingdom of God has nothing to do with a political party. The Pharisees were looking for the kingdom reign on earth. When are you going to restore Israel back to its former glory under King David? King Solomon. We're sick of being under the thumb of the Romans. And Jesus is saying the kingdom of God has nothing to do with a political party. 21st century Christians, we ought to lean into that as well. He says, he replied, the kingdom of, the coming of the kingdom of God, rather, is not something that can be observed in other words, it's not just how are we going to see this thing inaugurated like a kingdom. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is. Why? Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Elsewhere in Scripture, he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And when we think about what's happening from this moment, moving forward over the next several years, Jesus, not long after this, is crucified, buried, rose from the grave. The Pharisees had something to do with that, by the way. The church age is initiated. The kingdom of God, God is already at hand. He's already doing something in their midst. But he goes into this story about what's getting ready to happen. Some signs and wonders. In my opinion, what he's describing is what's going to happen A.D. 70 when Titus, speaking of a kingdom, the Roman Empire, the general Titus comes in and absolutely destroys Jerusalem. Not one stone is left on top of another, according to what Jesus has already said will happen elsewhere in Scripture. It's all going to change for these people. And there's all these signs and wonders. He's saying, get ready, this is what's going to get ready to happen. And then he uses two Old Testament characters. He gives reference to them, and I would say gives credibility to these characters because he's describing what you're getting ready to experience to his audience what you're getting ready to experience, well, people have experienced this before. People like, oh, Noah. In the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark. Then the flood came and destroyed them all. You can't take the Noah's ark story and shove it into the side as fable because Jesus gives credence to Noah and that story in your Old Testament. 
And it was the same in the days of Lot, our character that we're looking at, the jerk we're exploring today. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, but the day Lot left Sodom, I guess we're going to have to look at that story, aren't we? Sodom. Fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just like this on the day the Son of Man is revealed on that day. No one who is on the housetop with possessions inside should go down to get them. Get ready, because here it comes. Likewise, no one in the field should go back for anything. Remember Lot's wife? Oh, well, okay, not just Lot, but he gives credence to Lot's wife as well. Remember, if you know your Bible, if you know your Old Testament stories, She's supposed to be fleeing and not looking back. She does that. She's turned into a pillar of salt. Jesus, that fantastic story, he gives credence to that story here by acknowledging Lot's wife. Whoever tries to keep their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life will preserve it. This is the week before Father's Day. I have never noticed this. I've read this passage I don't even know how many times in my life. This last week, probably because I'm trying to get my A game on my dad jokes up to par because Father's Day is coming up right around the corner. Is this a salt joke? (laughs) Right here in the middle of this story, Jesus is talking. Jesus talks about salt in the Sermon on the Mount, and he talks about it as a preservative. You are the salt of the earth. Is he making a joke here about Lot's wife? I actually did a word study on that. That's exactly what that word means, preserve. I don't know. I don't know if he's making a joke there or not, but I found that very interesting. It's almost as if Jesus is saying in this whole story, hey, jerk, be ready. Be ready. He's literally looking at the Pharisees. They are a bunch of jerks, right? Elsewhere in Scripture, he calls them whitewashed tombs, you brood of vipers. He's already calling them, you bunch of jerks. He's saying, hey, jerk, be ready jerk for a day, jerk for a life. We all can relate to this. There's something that we need to glean from this sermon series this summer on how not to be a jerk. Okay, I want to look at Lot. And Jesus has given credence to the story of Lot. I want to, let's go to the end of Lot's story. And we're going to work our way backwards. Well, it's kind of the end of his story. We just looked at his New Testament reputation. Let's skip to the end of the story before we look at the beginning, Genesis chapter 19. You heard Jake reference this earlier. Lot and his two daughters left Zoar. Zoar is an ancient city on the south side of the Dead Sea, the Salt Sea. Actually, it's been venerated for years by Christian people. There was a monastery that was established in the ancient city of Zoar. It's my understanding, I've never been there, but it is my understanding that you can go to that space today even and see a museum that talks about the Lot story. And you can definitely see all kinds of salt around the Salt Sea. You can float on the Dead Sea. I've done that. That's pretty cool. You can't sink in it. They left Zoar, and they settled in the mountains, for he was afraid to stay in Zoar. This is after escaping Sodom. His wife has just died, turned to a pillar of salt. He and his two daughters lived in a cave. It's like they're living in Brown County State Park. They've left the city. They're out in the boonies. Now, one day, the older daughter said to the younger, Our father is old. There's no man around here to give us children. As is the custom all over the earth, she's rationalizing, right? Everybody else is doing this, having kids. And poor us, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. We do have a male in in our presence. We have dad. Oh, boy, 
let's get our father to drink wine and sleep with him and preserve our family line through our father. Yep, it's in the Bible, right there. Let's look at some of the details. Alcohol is involved, right? Definitely manipulation. This is probably fear-motivated. You can kind of see that underneath the text. There's some gullibility, probably. Do you remember last week I referenced Robert Lewis and his concept of authentic manhood? One of the principles of authentic manhood as we seek to follow Jesus well is to reject passivity. Lot doesn't do that. And the end result, you even heard Jake tease this out in the intro. So both of Lot's daughters became pregnant by their daughter. Oh, my goodness. The older daughter had a son, and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites today. This is important to catch this detail in the Bible. The younger daughter also had a son, and she named him Ben-Ami, and he became the father of the Ammonites of today. Today, today, or today, when? Well, today when the book of Genesis was written. Scripture has two layers of audiences. I want to talk about Lot's legacy. Let's look at his descendants. You heard this teased out in the intro. Usually, we are the secondary audience of Scripture. The story was initially written to a specific group of people in a specific time. Well, who wrote Genesis? God did. Well, who did he use to write it? Moses. So we're talking roughly 1400 B.C., roughly. Moses, the origin story for the group of people that Moses is leading, this is their origin story. They're getting ready to cross the uh, Jordan River. And they're going to walk into the promised land. And all along the way, they've already been harried. They've already been harassed by the Moabites. They're getting ready to meet the Ammonites as well. These descendants of Lot. So the real end of Lot's story, according to the Hebrew Bible, the Moabites opposed the Israelite invasion of Canaan in a big way. So did the Ammonites. And as a consequence, well, for ten generations is what the Bible talks about. There's fighting. This group of people are being harassed by Lot's descendants. What makes Lot a jerk? I want to look at his story now. Let's unpack it together. Let's see if we can grab some application for our lives today in the 21st century. What makes Lot a jerk? I've got two words. Grab these words. Hold on to these words. We're going to unpack these through the rest of the message. Part of his jerkiness comes from just good old-fashioned selfishness. We can't relate to that today, can we? Yeah. And compromise. I'm tempted to look at compromise and view that as a good word. I want to spin it on its head, and I want to view that as a negative. At least in Lot's case, he compromises on some things he should not compromise on. This is what makes him our jerk today. Let's look at his selfishness first. We're first introduced to Lot in the latter part of Genesis chapter 11. Let's go all the way now to the beginning of his story. We learn that he's the grandson. You heard Jake reference this, this of a man named Terah. He happens to be Abram, Father Abraham's nephew. And Abraham is on a quest to follow God. God says, I want you to go. Well, let's look at the famous call of Abraham. This is the great commission of the Old Testament. 
Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, God comes to Abram and says, I want you to leave, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I'm going to show you. I want you to jump and ask how high am I supposed to jump on the way up. Abram does this. He leaves. He begins the trek from one end of the Fertile Crescent to the other end of the Fertile Crescent. And the next verse, I love this, when Abraham gets up to leave, we find recorded in verse 4 just these simple words. Lot went with him. First time he's mentioned in Scripture, like a puppy dog following behind. Here's the nephew Lot following Father Abraham. And it's interesting to note that the next time we find his name mentioned, it's found kind of in the same way in a similar phrase. In Genesis chapter 13, at this point, Abram is leaving Egypt, and he's going north at this point back to Canaan. He went from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, Sarai and all his stuff, and Lot went with him. Some time has passed between the last verse and this verse. Lot is still hanging with his uncle. He's right there. It seems like there's a good relationship with his uncle. And Lot isn't about to give that up. I don't see selfishness yet. I see a lot of loyalty, maybe. I see a lot of hanging with. I see even the evidence underneath the text there of healthy, good community. But in chapter 13... We see some conflict begin to arrive there in the book of Genesis between Abram and his nephew Lot. It's actually not even between them. It's with their staff. The herders, the shepherds, the people who are doing the work, the servants. There's some conflict between the servants of Abraham and the servants of Lot. Actually, they're grazing livestock. Their wealth has grown, mo' money, mo' problems, right? And they need more land to support their stuff, consumerism. Oh, my goodness, it starts way back then. And grumbling is happening. Well, I want to graze our livestock here. I want to graze our gra- We're in conflict. And uh, the, the, the text puts it this way, actually. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, so we've got to separate. Abram notices this strife. He's a good leader, and he calls Lot to him in order to resolve the issue. Hey, let's have a business meeting. Let's have a conversation. Lot, you sit down here. Let's bring you some refreshments. Let's have a conversation, and this is what Abram said. He said to Lot, it's, let's not have any quarreling between me and you or between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. This is not a good thing that there's fighting. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. Let's kind of... Go our separate ways. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar, note that we've already seen Zoar in the text. We've already read that, foreshadowing, was well watered. If I go that direction, that looks like the best land. We see the seeds of selfishness emerge in the heart of this jerk. So Lot chose for himself. That's a selfish phrase, is it not? Selfishness. The whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived along the cities of the plain. And, well, he set up shop. He uh, put his household and his servants and everybody were going to live in this plain right near. And there's that word. Again, foreshadowing. Sodom, 
Now, the people of Sodom, let's give it some description, were wicked. That's a strong word. This might be a stronger word. We're sinning greatly against the Lord. Selfishness that looks like good land. That's what I want. Let's go there. And maybe there's some consequences for that. Maybe I'm putting myself in a bad situation, but I want the heart wants what the heart wants, right? It's, it's selfishness. Now, it appears as if Lot has gotten the better end of the deal. But when we keep looking in chapter 14, there's an international conflict that emerges. There's a lot in this story that we don't understand. There's a whole lot that's going on here that seems like it's underneath the text. But basically what happens is there's an international conflict between all of these different nations. Lot is embroiled in this. He's kidnapped. He's carried off. I feel like I need to get out my hand map at this point again. They've been hanging out down here in this part of the Holy Land. He's captured and he's taken all the way up to this part. To this part. When they inhabit the land, it's described as from Dan to Beersheba. Well, they've been hanging out right here just north of Beersheba. Now he's hauled all the way to the north, literally, to the city that the Israelites would name Dan. It wasn't called Dan at that point. In Genesis chapter 16, we see them taken all the way to this spot. It's called Laish. I've been in this space. It grows my faith even to look at it. These, this was uncovered in the 1970s by archaeologists. It's the ancient city. Underneath the ancient city of Dan, it's called Laish. And quite likely, Father Abraham... And his nephew Lot, who's being rescued at this point by Abram from an international conflict, quite likely they walked up those very same steps through the front entrance of that city, Laish. Very cool. The Bible is silent about Lot for a while. And then he's mentioned again in Genesis chapter 19. In Genesis 18, right before that, we learn that God is communicating with Abraham and is an intention to destroy the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of their wickedness. And Abram, he knows that his nephew lives there, and he pleads with God, and he convinces God to spare the city if ten righteous people are found. Well, God sends angels disguised as men. Uh, there's some wicked men. You heard Jake reference that story. Hey, bring these men out. Let us sleep with them. Talk about a jerk move. Lot says, well, here's my daughters instead. I mean... Classic, no, obscene, jerk, move. Look, we, we look sideways at the incest of his daughters, uh, what that led to earlier. But do you see the modeling in that story where they grew up under? My goodness. The son-in-laws, actually, they, they think in the story, if you read it, they think that Lot is joking. Uh-uh. Well, let's see where the story takes us. Genesis chapter 19, with the coming of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, hurry, these men, or these angels disguised as men, now they're saying, Lot, let's go take your wife and your two daughters who are here, or you will be swept away when this city is punished. He hesitated. 
In the middle of all that chaos, he hesitated. The men grasped his hand in the hands of his wife and his two daughters and led them. It's stronger than that. Pulled them to safety out of the city, for the Lord was merciful to them. As soon as they had brought them out, one of them said, Flee for your lives. Don't look back. Don't stop anywhere in the plain. Flee to the mountains, or you will be swept away. His wife looks back. We talked about that earlier. This, then, is the story of the man named Lot. We see some selfishness at play in his heart. I mentioned compromise. There's some compromise going on that makes him a jerk as well. Wait a minute. Compromise is a good thing, right? Well, it depends on what you compromise on. If it's a business deal and I'm going to get a little, you're going to get a little, it's a win-win scenario, maybe compromise is good. I don't think so with Lot. He compromises his conviction. He compromises his morals. We're going to look at some of the things that he compromises. What he's doing is he's looking out for number one. Selfishness leads to his compromise. Looking out for number one. Have you ever heard, have you ever said this phrase? Like the only way you're going to get ahead in this company is if you look out for number one. Oh, we have to be so careful with that mindset there's a website, if you've never hit it, I would, I would recommend it to you. It's called imsecond.com. And it's these stories of people who willfully choose humility and place themselves not in the number one position, but in the second position in the story. It grows my faith. Every once in a while, I hit that website and watch a story or two. Viewing yourself as second is the opposite of looking out for number one. Do you remember when you were a kid fighting with your siblings over the candy bar? I remember doing this. When our kids were little, my wife, uh, Dawn, came up with this brilliant solution. I'd never heard of this before. She was a preschool teacher. This blew my mind when I saw her do this the first time, and then I stole the idea, and I started doing it myself with the kids. One kid would say, well, I want the candy bar. The other kid would say, I want the candy bar. And instead of saying, hey, split it in half, and, and you both walk away grumbling grumble because the other person got the bigger piece, she would say, hey, you go ahead and cut the candy bar in half, and you, you get to choose first which of the two pieces you want. And they, it was so funny to watch. They would spend five minutes kind of putting all the morsels side by side. Does it look like it's equal? Okay, you take your half. I'll take mine. Lot's behavior, looking out for number one, manifested itself in many ways. When you plant selfishness, you harvest some stuff. Let's look at what happens. And as we look at his story, my intention would be, it's not just that he's a jerk all on his own, but our jerky hearts, our jerky nature as well, can grow and learn maybe what not to do by these jerks of the Bible. We see a selfish jerk, and we see in Lot's story that a selfish jerk grows tunnel vision. This is what I see. This is what I'm going for, and I'm going to miss. He was blinded to the dangers of Sodom. When it comes to making decisions, Lot went with what appealed most to his earthly desires, and he was blind to the dangers of Sodom. In other words, Lot saw what was best for him in this world rather than what was worst for his spirit. When he looked out at the fertile plain of the Jordan plain, Lot saw only how he could potentially increase his possessions in this world instead of seeing the spiritual dangers that were going to be found in the cities of the plain. 
It would be naive to think that Lot was not aware of the spiritual depravities that already existed in the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham and Lot had been living in that area at that point for a while at this point, and they would have had news of the area. They, they knew. Come on. They knew. And in spite of this fact, in spite of this knowledge, Lot chose to live where he chose. In fact, we find that Lot he, well, he put his tents near Sodom, and he's living temporarily near Sodom. And then eventually, he moved into the city. Maybe he thought he would be immune to the corruption found in that city. Maybe he thought he could influence it for good. Instead, Lot compromised everything in his life because of his choice. This is a jerk move. Lot's behavior in looking out for number one caused him to trust in his ways rather than God's ways. So misplaced trust. But before we spend too much time talking about that, can I simply ask you, is there a space in your life today? There's a jerk move growing in your heart. You have tunnel vision. You're looking at something that you want, something that you desire, some maybe stuff that you wish to acquire. You've got tunnel vision, and you're missing out on what should be seen in your peripheral vision. Is there something you're going after, you're chasing right now, and your tunnel vision, well, you're kind of being a jerk with it. Maybe it would be time to recognize that and to repent of that, likely or similarly. What misplaced trust do you have in your life? It's interesting to note that Lot didn't once consult the Lord with his choice. As you read that story, he never asks. Even after seeing how God directed the life of Abraham, his mentor, Abraham, who he followed from one end of the Fertile Crescent to the other and then down to Egypt and back up, he has been, he's had plenty of time to soak this, these life lessons up. But Lot had his own plans, and he failed to consult God. After being caught in the international conflict that I mentioned a bit ago and being miraculously rescued by his uncle Abraham, you would think that he would have gotten the picture and he would have said to himself, maybe I made a bad choice in moving here. No, he sold his tents and he bought a condo in the city. Looking out for number one meant trusting in his own ways rather than in God's ways. You saw that in the story as well. God sent messengers. He sent angels to rescue Lot. And Lot, in the middle of that nasty story that gets referenced in Scripture, he refers to that crowd as friends. It's there if you look for it. He offers his two daughters instead. He's trying to make the way happen himself by his own volition rather than trusting God who's there to save him. Do you have some blindness, not just tunnel vision, but do you have some misplaced trust we should be following God right now. And instead, you're following your own way. This is a, oh, if I pull myself up by my bootstraps kind of a mentality. And God says, oh, no, I want you to follow. God says to you, you let me lead. You follow. Lot trusted in his own ways rather than God's ways because he was always looking out for number one. Selfishness. Can we also look at what he compromised? His selfishness leads, jerk move, to some compromises. A compromising jerk loses out on all kinds of things, like relationship. 
And as we're looking at Lot's life, could I invite you to do some introspection in what jerky ways in your own life right now do you have relationships that are in danger because of selfishness? Because you're compromising, your, your selfishness is willfully putting you into a space where you're going to compromise relationship. For Lot, this was his relationship with Abraham, just to mention one. Genesis chapter 13, verse 8 and 9, we looked at it. Let's, let's look a little closer. So Abraham said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. That's strong language. We're kinsmen. We're close. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Abram had every right. He was the older. He was the leader. He had every right to tell Lot where to go. And uh, God had already made a promise to Abram. Not so much Lot, not in the story. Abram risked everything by giving Lot the choice. Why? Because he was not willing to compromise his relationship with Lot. Clearly, Abram was not looking out for number one. Contrast that with Lot. He didn't even think twice. He was willing to compromise his relationship with his uncle in order to take advantage of what appeared to be a bonanza. I want that for me. The most unsettling thing that happens when we look out for number one is that we compromise our relationships, maybe even with those who love us the most. That's a jerk move. Oh, be careful. What other things does a compromising jerk lose? Not just relationship, but the good stuff. I think there's a country song that talks about the good stuff. This is so true. Jerks miss out on the good stuff. They miss out on healthy community. Jerks don't usually get invited to the fun parties, right? Oftentimes, jerks miss out on the good stuff like a clear conscience. When you treat people poorly, sometimes that makes it harder to sleep at night. What else? I'm going to invite you right now to brainstorm just for a minute. Turn to whoever is next to you. Maybe think about your jerk moves. Maybe this is a moment to apologize for something depending on who's sitting next to you. Think about the jerks in your life. What are some of the things that you miss out on that's the good stuff? Go ahead and turn and tell somebody what that is right now. What does a jerk miss out on? Go ahead. Go for it. That might be a conversation even to grab a hold of and finish in the car ride on the way home or over dinner today. There might be an apology that even comes out of a good conversation like that. And moving forward, can I suggest to you that some of the good stuff that Lot misses out on is the blessing of God. He misses out on a lot of the good stuff that God wants to pour into his life because of his jerk moves. We see this referenced, I told you, 2 Peter. Peter talks about Lot. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. And if God rescued Lot, a righteous man, isn't that an interesting word there? Righteous. He's seeking to follow God. He's jerk for a day, maybe not jerk for a life. He makes some awful decisions in his life. There's so much from that we can grab God's redemption even for us. He's described as a righteous man, distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men. Distressed. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul 
by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. It's so interesting if you study the New Testament. Peter is a rough fisherman on the north side of Sea of Galilee when Jesus dramatically saves him, rescues him. He writes like a rough fisherman as well. If you compare his Greek to, for example, Luke, they write a little bit different. There's a whole lot more run-on sentences in Peter's words, but oh my goodness, it's filled with powerful information here. Different writing styles on display, but why was Lot tormented in the city of Sodom? Well, because he knew what it was like to have God's blessing, and he's letting go of it. His selfishness, his jerky tendencies won the day. Listen, nothing compares to being inside the presence of God, no matter how appealing that other flashy stuff is. What other things does a compromising jerk lose? Not just relationship, not just the good stuff, but his family? Oh, my goodness. There's a devastating story that emerges in Lot's life, tragic, because of his jerky nature. His daughters commit incest. He loses his wife in the middle of that story because of his jerky tendencies. What else does he lose? Integrity. He loses his integrity. Listen, if you're going to hold on to something, hold on to your integrity. Be oh so careful not to lose that. Could I invite you to simply look through that list right now and just do some gut check? Is there something in your life right now that is in danger of being lost by your own jerky tendencies? And make a decision right now. Double down on that. Do something intentional to move away from the plains of Jordan. Move away from that space that can be oh so tempting to chase after, but oh, be careful. You don't want to lose the things that are very valuable, that are very important to you. Okay, I want to leave today the message on a high note. We learn from Lot the danger, the incredible danger inherent in looking out for number one. Can I suggest to you God calls us to a better way, selflessness. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter 22. Look at this. The, the jerks, the Pharisees, are asking him another time, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, here you go. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Right behind it is the second. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, the entirety of the Old Testament, hangs on these two commands. In other words, look outside yourself. Let go of selfishness. Don't compromise the things that are oh so important in your life. Remember I said this last week. There's only one hero in Scripture. That's God. There are a lot of jerks, but God is the only capital H hero in Scripture. Through this series, we're looking at two purposes. This is why we're doing a summer series called Jerks of the Bible. One, to grow in our discipleship. We're not immune to jerky tendencies, you and I. Also, it's to grow in our faith, to see that there's only one hero in Scripture. And each week, we're going to come back to two core challenges. Number one, don't, don't be a jerk. Don't be like Lot. Fix it. Figure it out. But also, <laughs> be challenged by this, that in every single story we look at, eventually God wins. In spite of the jerkiest of jerks, sometimes he even uses them to advance his purpose. Remember the beginning of this story. We talked about the legacy, the end of Lot's story. 
the Israelites are moving into the promised land and you've got the Ammonites and you've got the Moabites and they're in the way of God's promises. And this is Lot's legacy for that group of people. Can I show you a picture real quick of God's redemption? Can God redeem a jerk? You better believe he can. He can redeem anybody he chooses to redeem. There's a, there's a picture. Well, actually, let me show you how this works. You saw a family tree on the screen in the intro. Let's focus here in the middle. King David, King Solomon, the golden reign of ancient Israel. Notice this. David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was a Moabite. She was a descendant of Lot's incestuous relationship. David has a son, Solomon. Has a grandson that comes to the throne, Rehoboam. His mama was an Ammonite, a descendant of the incestuous relationship with Lot and his daughters. Children of jerks. And notice this, if you read the book of Matthew, you read the genealogy of Jesus, these are in Jesus' family tree. God redeems. I don't know what you're feeling like today. If you're feeling like a jerk, there is a moment of confession. There is a moment of redemption that maybe, maybe just maybe, God would call you into right now because you don't want to be the jerk on your family tree. Would you stand up with me? Let's respond with worship. Let me pray for us before we do that. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you don't whitewash it. I thank you even for the PG-13 sections of Scripture. I thank you for the opportunity to examine our hearts, examine our minds, even look deep inside our souls at our own jerky tendencies. Lord, right now, maybe there's a moment where you, as the loving surgeon, want to cut those spaces out of our hearts. We yield to that. And we give you permission to do that even right now. It's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray.